a true believer who is still failing but is desiring in his heart to come out of the hold of sexual sin, he feels guilt on a much deeper level. His biggest concern is displeasing the Lord and being out of right fellowship with God. In other words, they're not complacent. They're not looking to make excuses and just try to find the easy way around it. They really want out. How strongly do you desire freedom? Enough to do whatever it takes to throw aside the sin that's entangled you? I'm sure that many of you have tried to find freedom by reading books and listening to podcasts or going to support groups and therapy. Maybe in your situation, none of it has worked. If that's true, I want you to know that there is still another option. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the key reasons that our residential program makes it possible for men to experience radical, deep, and lasting change in their lives. Thanks for joining us on Purity for Life. For those of you who are with us for the entire Victory series, you know that we gave you a lot to chew on. There were some really profound truths in that series that have the power to radically transform people's lives. But here's the thing. Some people need something a lot more intense than just a podcast series. In our 35 years of ministering to men in sexual sin, we found that there are many, many men who need to do something drastic. A podcast isn't going to do it for them. A book, same thing, not going to work. Watching some sermons, reading some articles, it's just not enough. Maybe you've been listening to this podcast for years and nothing is really changing. Maybe it's time to do something about it. Over the years, many, many men have contacted us looking for help. Some are young men, late teens, early 20s. They've only been in sin for five or ten years, but they know that they're on a very dangerous path. They've tried to get free from pornography and self-gratification, and nothing has worked. Others are late 20s or early 30s. Their marriages are beginning to feel the strain of sin. Maybe their wives know, maybe they don't. Maybe she's already talked about leaving him, or maybe she said she's in it for the long haul. Either way, these guys are wondering how much longer they can keep going in this direction. And then there are those who have been in sin for 30, 40, or 50 years. Sexual sin has ravaged their lives. Marriages have imploded. Reputations are in shambles. Ministries have been destroyed. Some are in debt up to their eyeballs, and they're on the brink of total ruin. You know what's crazy? In each of these groups, we'll find people who really should be in our residential program, but they'll say things like, nine months, it's way too long, or I don't need something that drastic. They sincerely want help, but to them, nine months in Kentucky is unreasonable, maybe even ludicrous. But here's the deal. The chains of sexual sin 
are forged over many months and years, and its grip is not going to release overnight. If you've been in sexual sin for years, you understand what I'm talking about. Just because you want to be free doesn't mean it's just going to let you go. But here's another reason why nine months sequestered from everything familiar is so incredibly necessary. Because the man in sexual sin has steeped his soul in deception, and he needs to learn how to walk in truth. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The temptation of sin holds out this promise of sweet pleasure and fulfillment, but then what does it leave you with? Guilt, shame, and a corrupted soul. But this isn't the worst way that sin deceives us. The most deadly aspect of sin's deceitfulness is that it makes us unable to discern the truth. Let me give you a really good example. We used to ask everyone who applied to our residential program to rate themselves on two different fronts. First, how deeply did you give over to sin? Second, how active are the Christian virtues in your life? Listen to what happened all the time. The same guy who's a serial adulterer would say that he was an 8 out of 10 in humility. The college student who used to sneak away from his friends to watch violent pornography, identified himself as a very honest person. Evangelists or pastors who were regularly picking up prostitutes after ministering said that they loved God with all their hearts. What kind of hope is there for men who are that deluded? I mean, they've been so deceived that now they live in a fantasy world and they're not even aware of it. And I can just imagine that hell would be laughing when someone tells them that the great remedy for that deception is some weekend seminar or a little support group or an internet filter. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Those things absolutely have their place in the life of someone who's looking for purity. But ultimately, the only hope for deceived souls is a radical encounter with the God of truth. In 2008, I entered the Pure Life Ministries residential program, and I was a poster child of deception. The next nine months were some of the most life-transforming I've ever experienced, and I'm just one of hundreds of men to have the same thing happen. From my perspective, our residential program makes this kind of transformation possible because of three key elements. But before I get into that, I want you to hear the testimony of Brooks because he perfectly illustrates the point I'm trying to make. Brooks was blessed with a Christian upbringing. He went to a Christian private school and a Christian university. Everything about his life would have been considered Christian at one point, but he wandered off into the far country of a life of pornography and sexual impurity. And then after several years of it, he came to the point of being sick of this life of sin and its emptiness, and he was restored to his merciful Heavenly Father. If you're considering our residential program, 
please listen to what the Lord Jesus did for Brooks because it's a helpful foretaste of what you would experience yourself. I grew up in a Christian home and really everything I could have wanted spiritually as far as a loving family and a good environment, it was all there. My dad is a really godly man and set a good example for me. At some age when I was younger, my mom really encouraged me to start into music and I started playing piano and then she felt like maybe the cello would be a good instrument for me and I picked that up as well. And it was a part of my life that was very disciplined and I felt I could do well with it. And so it became just a real big aspect of my life. Growing up as I did and knowing about God and being taught and then being in an environment, several spiritual environments throughout my life and struggling through my own faith a little bit, I got to a point where I felt I knew the Lord and that I wanted to follow Him and do what was right. And a lot of my obedience at that time was more legalistic, just I wanted to live a disciplined life and I knew that things would just go better if I did that. And um, I think it was sincere, but there wasn't a deeper knowledge of God in me at that time. So I went on that way for a few years. I remember that as I tried to live the way I thought I should and even felt drawn to God, that I also felt my own flesh coming into play. And at some point there were some habits I started developing that seemed minor at the time. I was pretty thin and I started overeating, so nobody would have known but it was obvious gluttony in my life and that actually started things for me. From there, it really took over other areas. I started wasting a lot of time, neglecting my work that I had been so diligent about before, uh, school work, things I ought to have done otherwise just began to go by the wayside. And I knew these were taking root and I should stop it, but I never did. I remember as these habits of sin were taking over that the thought of pornography came back to me. I'd been exposed first when we had just got internet. This was even at a younger age and I had seen it, but I never went after it, I think, because I was afraid of my parents who had found out. But then later on, during this time when I was weakening spiritually, I remembered it and I one night, just I think everybody was asleep, I went to the computer and deliberately looked it up and I started a secret life with pornography steadily growing as part of that life on into college and beyond. What I was viewing at that time when I was starting out in pornography was heterosexual porn and it was videos or pictures whatever I could find and it became more and more a habit until I don't know exactly how to describe it but I got bored. I just started looking around and at one point found something that was homosexual and it was different for me I hadn't been exposed to anything like that from my childhood and really didn't have any inclinations that I remembered before that that would have been homosexual but when I saw that pornography and I began to repeatedly to view it something in me liked it 
something was there that wanted to keep going after it and over time the habit developed where I actually liked that better. When it came time for college, I went to Bob Jones University for my undergraduate degree in cello. But during this whole time, I was still feeding these habits of sin that had taken root and especially the pornography just got stronger and stronger till eventually I wasn't even devoting time to my studies or to my music and any time I had outside my classes was in sin. I went on to the University of Alabama and pursued a master's degree in cello performance also. By the time I ended grad school, any resolve that I had to follow the Lord was pretty much fading away and there was nothing really at that point to keep me from wanting to pursue my sin further because I had never acted out at all homosexually and now that I had the freedom to do so, I began to be pulled more and more in that direction to the point where I remember one night I arranged to meet a guy I'd never met in a hotel and had my first sexual encounter there. That first experience opened up a world of sin to me that I had every desire to pursue as far as I could take it. And I began having multiple sexual encounters, just one after the other, and even sometimes maybe trying to date someone or pursue something more long-term, but really those two years were just years of total promiscuity in my life. At one point my dad confronted me because he could tell stuff wasn't right in my life. And he even got me together with my pastor and said basically an ultimatum, you either leave this sin, because he had some idea of what I was involved in, or you leave the house. And I decided to leave home which I really think was the point where God completely gave me over to what I wanted for a whole two years. There came a point in my sin where I wanted to see a future for myself. And really for me, that ended up bringing God back into the picture because I knew He was there. And so I started reading gay theology and trying to find a way to fit God in to what I wanted and what I felt was right. Eventually, I met somebody that wanted the same thing I did and we started living together and looking toward a future. And this for me, really, I wanted to make it the fulfillment of both my sexual desires and the desire to have something that I could respect about myself. I remember at one point while I was living with my boyfriend that the conviction started coming back and whereas before I could feel completely fine pursuing what I was pursuing, God wasn't letting me get away with it anymore. And I couldn't ignore the sense of guilt that was coming over me to the point where I went a couple times to him and said, I don't think I can do this. And even though I ended up trying still further to justify things, that was the beginning of me coming out of my lifestyle. I came to realize that this was the fruit of the prayers of all the people who loved me and my family and my close godly friends praying that I'd come out of the delusion that I was in.
There came a day where I finally just packed my things and left. Left my boyfriend and went back home. And that summer, I knew it was, had been a work of God in my heart to bring me there and that now I needed to take the next right step. I had been told about Pure Life about a year before by my aunt and uncle and had no desire at that time to go, but now God was stirring something in me where I knew I needed to go to Pure Life. When I got to Pure Life, I found a whole different environment from anything I was used to, either in my sin or before, because I could really sense the life of God in this place. And the Lord began to give me a hunger for Him because I saw He was real in the lives of those around me and in the worship. And I was pulled completely in a different direction than all the sin that I'd given myself to. With all the things God was showing me, there came a point where I knew I had to make a decision because as I began to see what I was like and that I was capable of going back, I knew that He was calling me to choose to follow Him. And I remember this one service where Pastor Steve basically said, you need to choose to not take one more step down the road of the sin that you're following. And God showed me all in an instant that I couldn't do this, but that I didn't have any excuse because He was there and that He'd help me if I'd call out to Him. And it was at that point that I went to the altar and gave up homosexuality. It took the Lord bringing me to pure life and dealing with the sin that I had loved to even bring me to begin to see my real issue that had been with me all the time, and that was just my selfishness and me wanting my own way in life. And when he showed me that, I saw the way out, the way ahead now would be a life lived to follow Jesus. My life was insane when I was in my sin. I went after every level of evil from just doing what I wanted all the way down to basically sex at any time, anywhere, and no regard for what people thought with a life that just revolved around me 24-7. Everything I had as I was growing up that I had valued, I just threw it away. But now in Jesus, I have that life. And it may be a disciplined life, even in some ways a harder life, but it's a real life and a fulfilling life and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So why does our residential program make it possible for men like Brooks to experience deep, radical transformations? First, because they're separated from deceptive sources. Sexual sin is like toxic mold for our spiritual man. The longer we're exposed to it, the more symptoms we're going to find in our spiritual lives. And I really cannot overstate the seriousness of this situation. Every single day, a person exposes himself to pornography. His inner man is breathing in the spores of deception. Every secret fantasy, every adulterous look, Every filthy act makes him a little less able to discern truth. 
anyone who is overcome by sexual sin would benefit greatly by being separated from everything that's familiar and given a clean spiritual environment to live in. The residential program is just that environment. Imagine spending nine months in an atmosphere free of the sensual imagery that comes through smartphones, social media, television, magazines, and other forms of media. This gives our students a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to wholeheartedly subject themselves to an entirely different influence, truth. And this brings up the second reason our residential program makes deep transformation possible, because these men are immersed in truth. When a person is bound up in sexual sin, the first thing that has to happen is he has to start seeing reality the way God sees it. For way too long, he's been allowing the enemy to fabricate deceptions that keep him unconcerned about the spiritual consequences of his sin. Let me give you a prime example. The Bible says that those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know how much clearer God can be. But you see, now the sexual addict has a massive problem. That means he's not going to heaven. Now, if he possessed truth in the inward parts, he would only have one response. He would fall on his knees and cry to God for mercy. But because he's been horribly deceived, he takes the clear teaching of Scripture and explains it away or modifies it, or ignores it. Anything that allows him to maintain the illusion of being right with God. Everything about our residential program is organized to bring these men face to face with the truths that they've ignored. Probably one of our most prominent goals in the Sunday messages and Tuesday night accountability meetings and counseling sessions is to expose specific deceptions in these men's lives and guide them into God's reality. Trust me, only those who are determined to keep being deceived are able to withstand nine months of that. The third reason that our program makes deep transformation possible is because we hold our students accountable to live the truth. I would guess that if you took a hundred professing Christian men and asked them what they need most in order to find freedom from sexual sin, I would guess that more accountability would be at the top of the list. Now, I certainly believe in the benefits of accountability as long as it doesn't look anything like the popular modern conception of accountability. Jesus said that when we abide in his word, will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. In other words, only those who live the truth will know its power to liberate the soul. Men in sexual sin, I can tell you what they don't need. They do not need to sit in a circle with other strugglers and endlessly air out their sins. What they need is to have a mature believer help them apply the truth of God's word to their life, and then hold them accountable to live it. Our counselors will tell you, 
When a man applies the word of God to his life, a mighty change begins to take place. The man, he doesn't just live in outward and inward sin and put up a spiritual image. Now, he begins to confront his unbelief and his pride, his self-centeredness, greed, laziness, fear, and so on. Instead of being a hearer who's just deceiving himself, like James says, he actively obeys God in his daily life. He turns from worldliness. He humbles himself. He gives thanks in all things. He pours out his life for the needs of others, etc. And as he does this, He is beginning to walk in truth and beginning to leave deception behind. Now, when we begin to see what it really takes to walk in truth, we begin to understand why a nine-month residential program really makes sense. Coming out of deception is not easy. In fact, it's much easier to stay deceived. Satan's lies are flowing freely all around us. Everything in our culture is lying to us. Our sinful natures are tenaciously clinging to the deceptions. But, although the task requires lifelong tenacity and courage, it's not impossible. I asked before, what hope is there for men who are steeped in deception? There is great hope because God has not kept his way of escape secret from us. If we would separate ourselves from deception, if we would immerse ourselves in his truth, and if we would allow ourselves to be held accountable to live it, God's truth will prevail over all the dark powers of this world, and one day, we aren't even going to be able to remember what it was like to live in a world of lies. In this last segment, Pastor Steve Gallagher talks to us about an article that he published back in 2016 entitled, How Can I Be Saved and Still Be in Sexual Sin? Whether you think you're saved or not, it's helpful to remember these two facts. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.19, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. May this interview help you to come into a walk with God that is truly marked by turning away from iniquity. Steve Gallagher has joined us in the studio. Steve is the founder of Pure Life Ministries. Steve, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. It's a blessing to be here with you, Mike. Steve, we want to talk about a question that uh, has probably come up in the life of every man who's ever walked through the doors of Pure Life Ministry, and that is, how can I be saved and still be doing this? Um, Now, of course, I'm using the example of of sexual sin because that's what we deal with here. You've written an article on that, and uh, we'll tell people how they can actually get to the printed version of this article, but I really want to talk about this question because it goes to the issue uh, not only of what does it mean to be saved, but it also goes to the question of how does sexual sin relate to the life of a believer? Well, before I say anything specifically about sexual sin, Mike, I have to preface it by saying that sexual sin has become the great sin of the American church. Hmm. But sexual sin is not the thing that sends people to hell. And sexual sin or the absence of sexual sin is not the great divider in the church, those who are saved and those who actually aren't saved. It's much deeper than that. And the real question is, 
what is a conversion in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, having got that out of the way, then what I'll say is simply that anyone who's involved with habitual sin certainly has reason to be concerned about whether or not they're actually saved. Mm -hmm. Sexual sin or any other kind of habitual sin. Any kind of ongoing sin, yes. Mm -hmm. You state in this article, Steve, that you tend to lump Christian sexual sinners, use that term, into two basic groups. Talk about those two groups. Well, I could say those who are saved and those who aren't saved, but let me go a little deeper than that. Mm -hmm. If I was to clarify it a little more, I would say those who are sincerely attempting to fight their way out of the hold of sexual sin, in other words, something is inside them compelling them towards a life of godliness and holiness. The other group are those who are just kind of whining about it. They, you know, kind of make half-hearted attempts at change. They kind of put forth the impression to those who know what's going on in their life that they are trying to change, but they actually aren't. Hmm. So really, it's a, a matter of sincerity. Hmm. Now, for some people listening, what you just described, they would say, oh, that's easy. I can look at people and I can tell immediately where they are in that. But after all the years of ministering to hundreds and hundreds of men in sexual sin, I know that you have come to the conclusion it's not always that easy. And you've described in this article three ways that you've kind of developed over the years to determine where a person might be, either in one of those true groups or maybe moving from one group to the next. And let's talk about those three areas. Yeah, it's not always that easy to just look at someone's life and know which direction they're actually going. And, you know, just by experience, Mike, I've learned to ask myself some questions about this person's life, certain things that I can see. I can't see everything in their heart, but there are Mm. certain things that I can see if I watch enough. And so the first question that I would have about this person's life is, how do they respond to a convicting sermon? Mm. Or how do they respond to being confronted about sin? You know, is their initial reaction one of trying to avoid confrontive messages or a lack of interest in a convicting passage of Scripture? Mm. Are they always drawn to the positive stuff? Are they always looking to read a book that's going to tell them, you know, oh, you're going to make it in the Lord and, you know, that kind of a positive thing? Or do they invite the Lord's correction in their life? Mm. That right there, to me, is a huge indicator of what's really going on inside them. Mm. Well, Steve, describe a person who isn't responding that way, the alternative to that kind of heart response. Okay, so you have a guy who is still failing. He keeps falling into sin. You know, if he's on his way out, he's certainly in his earliest days of it. But there's something inside of him that compels him towards preachers who will really present an uncompromising message or He's not going to be attracted to a counselor who presents some kind of a victim mentality that helps him to justify his actions. Mm. He's going to be drawn to a counselor who's going to tell the truth about himself, you know, who's going to be straight with him. Okay. All right. So you look to see how does a person respond to a convicting sermon or article or a counselor telling them the truth. You also mentioned how does the guilt of sin affect a person? Yeah, anyone who's involved with ongoing sin is going to deal with guilt issues. 
Now, here's the tricky thing about dealing with people in sexual sin. Even a person who is utterly insincere about overcoming his sin is still going to feel this guilt-shame thing because of society's stigma regarding sexual sin. Although that's changing. Yeah, I mean, that's just a sign of, our, of the times, you know, in the church. We're losing that passion for holiness. Mm. But a true believer, mm-hmm. a sincere guy who is still failing but is desiring in his heart to come out of the hold of sexual sin, he feels guilt on a much deeper level. His biggest concern inside is displeasing the Lord mm-hmm. and, and being out of right fellowship with God because of his sin. And the one thing that always characterizes sincere strugglers is they always have a sense of inner turmoil mm. over their actions. Yeah. In other words, they're not complacent. Mm. They're not looking to make excuses and just try to find an easy way around it. They really want out. Yeah. You know, and on your point about not being concerned about the outward consequences being found out, uh, this can be a process too. Uh, yeah. And I know that was my experience. You know, I, I came here with a whole laundry list of people that I had hurt, of things that I had destroyed, just the consequences of my sin. But I remember the day when God finally got a hold of my heart and opened my eyes, and I realized, no, I've sinned against God. I've mm-hmm. sinned against the Lord. So sometimes that can be a process that the Lord brings us into. But as you said, for the sincere believer, eventually that's going to happen. That kind of leads us to your third point, Steve, which does this person feel compelled to fight the good fight? And along those lines, Steve, one of the stories I remember you using very often as you were out speaking was a story about men that would come up to you, especially at speaking engagements, and just kind of pour their hearts out about how they've been struggling with this or that and how sometimes you could tell there was a problem even in the way they were sharing the story. Yeah, well, struggle is one of those terms we love to use in the church, and especially men dealing with sexual sin or lust or pornography or whatever. They like to say, yeah, I have this struggle. And then you start asking questions about their struggle, and you find out there's no struggle going on here at all. You're just totally given over. Mm -hmm. Where's the struggle? The point that I make in that is that We tend to deceive ourselves and flatter ourselves. We paint the picture as if we are really in a battle when the truth is we're not fighting. We're just caving in and we're going along with it, but we want to try to make ourselves feel better. So we say, well, I struggle with something. Mm -hmm. You used the excellent example, the difference between the response of David and Saul when they were confronted by their sin. Yeah, well, when David was confronted with his sin, he said, I am the man. I am guilty. I have sinned against God. You know, the first reaction that came forth from him, even though he was in a terribly backslidden condition by that point, his immediate reaction was to take responsibility for what he had done. Whereas Saul, every time Samuel would come and confront him about some new act of disobedience to the Lord— All he would do is start making excuses, rationalize his behavior, blame shifting, or whatever. You know, in other words, you just didn't get the sense this is a guy who's going to take responsibility for his actions and really repent. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, at Pure Life, we see God working in such an obvious and tremendous way, especially in the men that come through the, the living program. You see these two different guys. It's so clear, night and day, where one guy is confronted, and he immediately will say to his counselor, man, you're right, I've done it again, and he is torn in his soul about what he's done, and he has hope of gaining real victory, which was your conclusion in this article. That kind of man had hope for real victory over his sin. Yeah, and even the word hope is almost a little bit weak. Uh, it is an absolute fact that uh, it's coming. Yeah, I like that. You yeah. know, it really is, Mike, because we have God's word to stand behind that hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hope, yes, but hope based in fact that if he will continue fighting this, I promise you that God is going to come through for you yeah. and set you free. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. That's a good word. Well, Steve, I hope that these three aspects of, of looking, really, these are heart. We're encouraging the person to look at their own heart. If you're someone out there who you profess to be a believer, you, you believe you've made a sincere commitment to the Lord, and yet you find yourself struggling with sin— Look at your own heart and see, well, where do I spit in these three things? And if you see yourself being convicted, I mean, really deeply convicted about your sin, if you have a deep-felt Holy Spirit guilt over your sin, and if you're willing to acknowledge it and fight the good fight, then be encouraged that the Lord is on your side. He hasn't given up on you, and you keep turning to the Lord. But if that's not you— and you're in sexual sin, then, then i got to agree with you, Steve, then, then it's time to sit back and, and take an honest evaluation. Do you really want the Lord? Yeah. Do you really love the Lord? Or, or do you just want to do your own thing? And, you know, the Lord will let us do our own thing if we want to. Choose this day whom you will serve, really, is what it boils down to. That's really what it comes down to. The listener who is in that condition needs to make a decision. Do I really want to be a Christian? Yeah. Amen. Steve Gallagher, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks, Mike. If you'd like to access the printed version of this article, just go to our website at purelifeministries.org. Click on the free resources tab, articles, and then you'll find this article under the Achieving Freedom category. Thanks for joining us again on Purity for Life. Listen, we don't promote our programs very often on this podcast because we really just don't want to use our show as a sales pitch. We want our show to lead people to Jesus Christ, who is himself our freedom. But the reality is, freedom from sin never comes cheaply, and we regularly come across people who want freedom from pornography or other sexual sin, but they want that freedom without pain, without cost. And so they remain in bondage, that is, until the wages of sin are so steep that they finally come to their senses. Please don't be like that. Don't treat your relationship with Jesus like it isn't as valuable as a job or a ministry position or something else. Please don't keep listening to that voice that says, come on, you don't have to go to pure life. You can get free right here. Listen, I know that God is bigger than pure life. No one is disputing that. What I'm trying to do is help some of you see that you've been going around the same mountain for years, telling yourself that freedom shouldn't be this expensive. Well, where has that thinking gotten you? I'll let you answer that question. Jesus spoke really serious words to us in Matthew 5. He said this, 
If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's your choice. You can keep those things and go to hell, or you can lose them and enter heaven. If that's you, and if God is speaking to you, please go to purelifeministries.org and apply for the residential program. You're never going to regret doing what it takes to walk closely with God. You will always regret it if you don't. Thanks for bearing with me as I bear my heart. And thank you for joining us once again on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.